0: The 100 Marathon Club by Darren Smith To keep me sane-ish during the lockdown for COVID-19, the coronavirus, certainly less like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, I joined Crazy Bears, JK, Jimbo Abrams and Keith Miller, amongst others, in signing up for the great virtual race across Tennessee. Or Govrat, as it became known. A thousand-kilometre virtual run from corner to corner of the volunteer state, conceived by Lazarus Lake, the fiendish mind behind the Barclay Marathons, the race that eats its young. It was a simple concept. You tracked your daily walking and running miles or kilometres, uploaded them via a web form that in turn updated an awesome table that was linked to Google Maps. What this meant in practice was that you could log on and see where you virtually were the day before, as the map was always tracking a day behind the uploaded results. Some people finished in 10 days, which was a little questionable, as it would have meant averaging over 60 miles a day every day. And even if they were running those kind of miles... Where is the fun in that? What do you get out of blitzing a virtual race for which you have four whole months to run in just 10 days? Sure, some may think it raises their profile with Lazarus Lake maybe prompting an invite to the Barclay. But I'm sure that isn't what he meant for this race. It was a harmless bit of fun to take your mind off the nightmare of a global pandemic. It was supposed to be a laugh, a casual virtual race, but one he comically miscalculated. You see, he probably didn't expect, after advertising a virtual race across his home state of Tennessee, that 19,000 people across the world would sign up to it. I would wager Laz just doesn't know how popular he is and revered amongst the running crowd. We idolise him to a degree for what he's done. And so we all signed up, paid our 60 bucks and would we'll get a t-shirt six weeks into the race uh, as well as a shiny belt buckle with a map of the state and the US flag on it if you finished before the 31st of August cut-off. The logistics of sourcing 19,000 T-shirts and as many shiny belt buckles with the map of the state and the US flag on it and shipping them to the four corners of the globe fell squarely on Lazarus's shoulders. But that was his problem. What the guv'rat meant to me was yet another WhatsApp DM group for my fellow runners to track and trace each other's progress a separate and new spreadsheet created by Keith that calculated your average daily distance needed to hit the target by the end of August as well as tallying how much how far you'd gone already with the required 5 miles walking or running every single day for 4 months Now that might not sound a lot, five miles a day, eight kilometers, it should be pretty simple. But if you work through the pandemic as I did, or have other commitments as I do, or if the weather is shitty as it can be frequently, um, and if you can't be asked, which is more than a regular occurrence, then five miles a day may as well be 50. Add to that, missing a day means you need to make it up at some point. Missing two days is ten miles on top of the five you need to run. So if you get too far behind, you're in trouble. You are climbing a rope and slipping down faster than you are climbing it. So thankfully Lazarus, speaking to the masses on Facebook and via email, said you can count walking miles as well as those you run, as long as the purpose of the walk is in the actual walk. After all, no one can run a thousand kilometres in one go. Surely you'd have to walk at some point. I'm still not too sure about those who finished in ten days, though. I'm not wholly convinced their times and distances were kosher. And, given that this was supposed to be a lightweight bit of fun, it was never going to be evidenced. You do not need to submit your Nike or Strava or Garmin screens showing how far you'd gone and how fast. Again, no proof and people will cheat. The sort of people that cheat on a virtual race? Goodness knows what issues they have in their real life. And now the London Marathon, the Milton Keynes Marathon, New York and the Great North Run all offer, and in the most sarcastic air quotes I can uh, manage, a virtual that's not a virtual people will see this as a reason to cheat. I, however, as well as the boys, tracked everything. We have screenshots, we have logins to tracking apps, all showing our distance. It is just who we are. Cheaters never prosper. And who cheats on a virtual race anyway? The worst kind. It started in May with walking all the way to the office, which is nine kilometres away, and then running back uh heading in to keep the furnaces burning knowing that if i had been racing i would have had a couple of marathons per month to boost my numbers but if i was racing i wouldn't have done this in the first place so that's a moot point but still i somehow totaled 200 miles for the month a pretty good start and a little under a third of the race in a quarter of the time my best ever running stroke walking month in which i ran st ictids and the london trail marathon and across iceland at fire and ice only totaled a hundred and seventy back in twenty nineteen so that shows you how much walking miles are needed June was significantly hotter and started well with a couple of half marathon distance runs as well as 19 miles on the 19th to raise money for health service charities that had been battling COVID-19 for the year to date. I'd also managed a marathon training plan in vain hope that at some time in 2021 I would get to run one. I had a dozen marathons left in the calendar still at the time and had high hopes that at least one of them would go ahead. Maybe in September, probably in October, November at the latest. And so was following the 12-week plan that had the same minimum mileage needed for Guvrat to keep ticking over in the black rather than dropping into the red. Oh yes, the spreadsheet had conditional formatting Depending on whether you were running enough miles to hit your target, I had plans to complete the Gouvrat uh, in July, putting in the miles, working on the peloton, eating a lot of ice cream in the heat wave, especially when I would have a real, actual goddamn race on the first of August. But I ended the month on 984 kilometers towards my challenge, 984 kilometers or 611 miles, in three months. Still, it did mean that I finished the great virtual race across Tennessee that day, the 1st of August, 30 days ahead of schedule. It was a strange old time. I was very glad of the round Reading Ultra. It was like breaking the surface of a swimming pool after being held under the water for a little too long. But I was also thankful of the Govrat to keep me going until we could race again. The involuntary abstinence from running marathons, if anything, made me appreciate races even more. And I will be thankful for any and all that go ahead for the rest of the year, and reflect upon how easy it was pre-COVID to simply book a race, and go to it, like number 28, the Loch Ness Marathon, 23rd of September, 2018. Although I had run 8 of my 12 in 12 by June that year, feeling I was way ahead of the game, it took another 3 months to find myself at the start of the Loch Ness Marathon. And what a start line it was! After a slow chugging journey around the lake in an old double-decker bus it belched out its multi-coloured breakfast of runners atop a hill surrounded by sweeping fields of heather and fir trees and the longest toilet queue you have ever seen. In the meantime I had to cancel six marathons due to how exhausted and injured race to the tower had left me as well as a Victorian ailment that appeared just as I started getting better. Of all things, I got whooping cough after running Mile End Park Run, and that put paid to running the Picnic Marathon, a notoriously difficult event running around Box Hill in Surrey, a Saturn running lap race, Chelmsford Marathon, Stoke-on-Trent Marathon, the summer version of the Phoenix race that completed my first 12 in 12, and the Lee Track Marathon in Manchester that would have involved 105 laps and was the same weekend as my first Tough Mudder obstacle course race that I also cancelled. I had also taken it easy on a six-hour race across the Humber Bridge. That could also have counted, but I only ran 20 miles instead of the full distance and was disappointed in myself for knowing how far along the 100 marathon journey I could have been at this point. I would book a race a few weeks down the line, hoping to feel better, but then no. It did disappoint me. I felt like I was throwing money down the drain, and worse still, a lack of exercise and running counters the hard work I'd put in to mentally keep those demons away. A three-month layoff allowed my hypochondria to creep back into my mind from the recesses and the shadows in which it was hiding. But all that said, I got over the period by adding a new element to my running blog, which I loved writing at the time. When you're in a privileged position of having run a lot of marathons, as well as being listed by Runners World uh, magazine as one of the 70 most influential people in running, that's laughable, but you know, and one of the top 25, and in quotes again, regular runners to follow on Instagram, mostly, I believe, due to my friendship with a journalist there, Uh, people ask you, what's the best marathon? They ask you all the time, what's the best marathon? They don't ask you what's your favourite. They ask you about the best, in quotes. Favourite would be easy. It's a gut reaction. Just say the first race that comes to mind if you are asked the question. For me, for a long time, it was Loch Ness. Before then, it was Barcelona. Chicago took over the mantle and is still the best at the time of recording. Well, favourite at the time of recording. Oops, see what I did there? What I needed to decide the best was a clear scoring system. Sure, one of the categories could be personal enjoyment, effectively that one being my favourite, but then the rest of the score should be made up of things people care about when signing up for a marathon. And so for the blog, I created the scores on the doors, table at the bottom of each marathon blog post that I could point people to if they ever asked me the question what's the best marathon the categories would be pretty black and white other than the subjective one of enjoyment there would be cost and value for money those two have to go on first obviously Um, having one marathons that cost 28 Pounds, like Portland and £190 pounds, like Race to the Tower uh, the value for money part that was needed to counter the actual cost a cheap race might not actually be value for money an expensive race depending on what you get might be you could pay £50 for a race and get nothing but a medal and water you could pay £40 and get a t-shirt medal a goodie bag vouchers in local shops, a bust to the start, food, you name it. And then I moved into other categories. Local support, communications, the water tables and the route. I know plenty of races that do not respond to email or social media questions or comments. The Threshold Series are notorious for effectively setting up a website then putting in their fingers, their fingers in their ears, saying la 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 until race day. Others send out regular email bulletins and newsletters, and the route—the route could be terrible through lifeless industrial estates, or it could be across amazing suspension bridges with grand vistas. The support could be non-existent, like Portland, or too much, like London. They could be just jelly babies and water, or a smorgasbord like the European races. And then there's the all-important medal, free t-shirt, goodie bag. Some people care about such things, some don't. And I am a fan of those that allow you to opt out of these for the sake of the planet. The Zurich New Year's Marathon uh, allowed you to opt out of getting a t-shirt and a medal. And a lot of people did. And so the table at the bottom of each marathon blog was very popular and is very popular to this day. It is the simple takeaway from a race I've done. It often dictates if I would recommend it to others and if I would run it again myself. Loch Ness was one of the races where I would do both. It was superb from the moment I took selfies with an inflatable Nessie at the race village to giving up our cans of Baxter's soup from our local from our goodie bag at the security check of the airport and being told that they then donate them to a local homeless charity. This one felt like a European race to me. We flew to Inverness from London, car waiting Booked into an apartment for the weekend, being a tourist around the town, which uh, had shops that were mostly selling tartan or Nessie related Scottish goods, stuff you don't get at home. The restaurants sold local delicacies, such as the famous macaroni and cheese pie. The meetups were minimal, but that was okay as the weather wasn't great, and the race didn't post out the race packs so we had to make our way to the muddy, tented area to pick them up the day before. Which was fine, as it also allowed us to see where the race HQ and finish would be, compared to our apartment. The route, and a change from the loops and the there and backs I'd run before, was a straight line back into town. Point to point, you would be bust to the other end of the lock, and then would run back from the highlands to the south, along the eastern shore of Loch Ness, and then back into Inverness at the finish. It started with a lot of downhill, and what struck me immediately was the narrowness of the course at the start. These were B roads. I mean, two lanes of traffic, sure, but they were narrow lanes at that and the four thousand runners were cramped together and you could be forgiven for thinking that you were in a much bigger race as the roads between farms narrowed further and became the steep downs through woods that soon brought us out by the shore of loch ness numerous water tables were passed they were so close together And at times you were thankful for them. A mouthful of water swished around and spat out, then a couple swallowed. Gels were in abundance every third stop. Shot blocks too. The marshals handed out half packets to anyone who wasn't already in a diabetic coma. I said that we were thankful for the water stops as at times when the sun came out to play we needed them. Other times it was quite warm, the closer you got to sea level. Then it was chilly. And twice it tipped down with proper stair-rodding rain. There were microclimates, you see, as we gained elevation at a couple of small villages. That meant it rained so hard I used my buffers of balaclava under my cap, and people sheltered under trees as they got drenched. It was really beautiful, though, as you descended from the start and you had the heather-covered highlands around you, green, topped with a mist that burnt off as the day went on, with the ever-present lock on your left. You glimpsed it through trees as we wound our way around it and toward Inverness. We were right by it at times and people made the most of opportunities to take photos, I met up with Samwise Baxter at some point and we ran together. Then he ran ahead as I started my 800 meter run, 200 meter walk strategy to save myself for the rescheduled Green Man Ultra the following Saturday, six days later. And then I caught up with Jenny. and We ran together for a bit until the very long uh, hill at mile 18 that seemed to go up and up and up forever when she ran on ahead, leaving me to my tunes and my pondering. We turned away from the lock at this point and the route took us through a few outskirt villages before entering the city, parallel to the River Ness. The finish was just the other side of a few bridges. You could hear the PA system as we ran under the castle. Across the road, bridge and back, along and under a giant inflatable Loch Ness Monster, and to the finish of one of the most relaxed and beautiful marathons I'd run up to this point. It did take three months to chalk up number nine of the year, but it was worth it, as was the mac and cheese pie. Next up, the Green Man Ultra.